This is Window on the East, a podcast from BNE IntelliNews. Subscribe at bne.eu. Hello and welcome to Window on the East with me, Ben Aris, the editor of BNE IntelliNews. Tension in the Middle East is escalating. Trump's decision to withdraw U.S. troops from Syria has given Erdogan the green light for incursions across the border that he's long wanted to do. At the same time, the war against ISIS in Syria is not over. And add to that the tensions between Iran and the U.S. reimposition of sanctions, the recent bombing of Saudi oil facilities, and a missile attack, it seems, against a tanker, an Iranian tanker in the Red Sea. The situation is fraught. It's been a boom to Putin and Russia, who's managed to position himself now as a key broker within the region. He's found himself on both sides of various pairs, that Russia is friends to both the Turks and the Kurds. At the same time, Russia is friends with Tehran and Riyadh. I sat down with former Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Olmert, who's met Putin many times and negotiated with him, to get his take on what's going on. So, Prime Minister, good to see you again. Um, I wanted today to catch up, um, we talked last time about the situation in the Middle East and uh, we were talking about Israel's interests and the relationship with Russia and Iran and in the meantime... Nothing changed, nothing we can repeat changed. the interview. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, the, the big change of course has been Turkey and it's crossing into Syria, um, Trump decided to step back and I saw that Netanyahu came out against this, he said that this is a bad idea. I mean, is it? I mean, what exactly is going to happen? I don't think much is going to happen, except that uh, I think that the uh, announcement made by President Trump about the presence of American uh, troops in Syria uh, opened up the opportunity for Turkey to attack the Kurds, something that uh, Turkey was uh, attempting for a long time. And uh, I think that uh, this is not something that we love. This is not something that is needed. Uh, I'm not certain that this was a very calculated move uh, by the uh, Americans. And I hope that it will not uh, expand beyond the uh, limited initial step that it took and that uh, they will pull out soon. So the motivation is to basically clear the border of Kurds and as a security thing, because other people have suggested that it's also like an element of ethnic cleaning and that uh, you know the, he just has a grudge against the Kurds and was looking for an opportunity to attack. Look, uh, I'm not uh, the best spokesman for Erdogan. Mm-hmm. I know him personally very well. We dealt with him a long time and on many different occasions, and I met with him many times and talked with him many times, I think that uh, <clears throat> he was, um, he has a grudge to the Kurds. He was always, I think, uh, uh, grossly exaggerated the uh, threat of the uh, Kurds, partly because he has a Kurdish community inside Turkey, and he was uh, somewhat uh, concerned about the possible cooperation between the outside and the inside, and uh, what uh, might be the ramifications for the security of Turkey. I think it's been grossly exaggerated in the past, and it's grossly reacted to by uh, Turkey in the present time, and I hope it will end up soon. Mm. 
And doesn't this destabilize a situation that was actually relatively stable? I mean, there's been reports that ISIS fighters who were being captured by the Kurds and were in prison, that they've broken out and that they've actually joined the fight. Yeah, well, I'll tell you. Uh, it's in terms of the larger picture, this is not an event that can destabilize the area. The uh, ISIS uh, terrorists that were captured by the Kurds and may have been released, I don't know, to the uh, their numbers, but they are a marginal uh, power to be uh, afraid of, or that can uh, destabilize the entire area. So, uh, as I say, this is uh, a limited event that I think is symbolic, not because of the possible immediate possible uh, ramifications, but because of the signal that it gives to those who rely on the support and the uh, cooperation with the uh, United States. Uh, the uh, Kurds uh, may have a reason uh, to be uh, frustrated by what seems to them to be a betrayal of uh, America. Uh, and uh, I think that it may be, in as long as this is the American foreign policy, that it may affect others who are uh, known to be uh, friendly with the United States and dependent on American policy and support. Indeed, such as Israel. I mean, does this no, indicate... No, but there, there is a big difference, okay? Yes, um, Israel does not rely on American intervention for Israel's security needs. We rely on American political support, we rely on American uh, military supplies, uh, and uh, I think that this is not going to be changed. But we never wanted, nor do we want now, Americans to fight for us, or Americans to be present at any point in reference to our borders and the immediate security uh, needs uh, in order to uh, uh, to uh, defend the uh, security interests of the state of Israel. Do you think that this represents a, a new direction or less engagement by the states in the Middle East? It's been long ago that uh, this has been already indicated. This is not new. This is just an additional indication. Let's not forget that uh, <clears throat> Trump decided to uh, withdraw all the American forces outside of America, including in Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iraq, and others. So this is a trend which characterizes the American policy. I think that, indeed, you know, one should not be overly surprised by this. I think that um, Trump is, in nature, is an isolationist. Uh, why talk about uh, the Middle East? Let's not uh, forget what he said about NATO. He almost questioned the uh, need to uh, maintain NATO. And he said the time has arrived that America will not finance NATO for Europe without the Europeans paying equal amount of money, if I remember well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is a policy <clears throat> which says, I think, which appeals to many Americans. He says we don't need to uh, uh, sacrifice the lives of our soldiers in other countries, in the endless wars that they have amongst themselves and which are not part of the American security uh, needs. And uh, let's get back home and not waste our monies there. 
So this has been the, uh, I think, significant to the uh, policy of uh, President Trump. One can agree with it, one can disagree with it. It's a matter of opinion, it's a matter of a strategy, of priorities. But this is not something that should caught, catch uh, anyone in surprise. It's been there since he started as a president of the United States. The, the other big event recently in the Middle East has been the um, attack on the Saudi um, oil facilities, by, allegedly by Iran, um, which again looked at one point that there was going to be the start of a war, but I mean, what, what do you think is actually going on there? Well, I think that this was an Iranian reaction to some threats by this block of countries uh, under the support of the American government was a testing uh, ground, an attempt to understand what may be the possible reaction. Mm. Uh, and uh, maybe the uh, Iranians, from their point of view, are quite happy that they did the attack and that, as of now, there was not an equal response by uh, either the uh, Saudis and their allies and the United States. But so, surely that was a big risk to take. I mean, the chances of there being a military counter-strike was really quite big, wasn't it? You know, you ask me afterwards. So uh, I don't know that, I, that these uh, chances were measured before, but mm. now that we know that there was no response, maybe their calculation was uh, quite um, you know, reasonable from that point of view. It, it relates also to uh, you know the events in the Yemen and uh, the uh, fighting against the radicals in Yemen and the fact that the Saudis are involved in this war mm -hmm. against the radicals in Yemen. I think that there is a certain rethinking in the Saudis and the Emirates about the wisdom of continued fight against those rebels in the uh, uh, South Peninsula there. Uh, and that uh, the uh, Iranian uh, attack is within a context which is different from the conflict that we have uh, with the Iranians. But I think it proves again that Iran is a very aggressive and very provocative and that uh, it has to be taken care of with a lot of uh, attention. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that's what we do. What do you think then, I mean, the way out? Because it was a definite ratcheting up of tensions, making the situation worse. And there was a lot of tension there already. And the, the Iranian forces are also present in Syria, where, where Israel has been attacking them. Yeah. And they just, as they say, ratchet everything up. I don't see an end game for them where they come out ahead. Look, you know, one has to uh, take certain things into the... Uh, uh, equation in order to understand the possible developments. And perhaps the most important thing is to understand what is the Russian policy. Now, one thing I know for sure, I don't think that Putin seriously believes that he can uh, re restore the kind of world uh, influence that Russia uh, has since the collapse of the Soviet Union. This is not going to happen. However, at the same time, don't underestimate uh, Putin. He is a very serious, 
very, very careful and yet very determined and very powerful leader. And while I don't think that he wants to change the balance in the entire world, he certainly wants to be in a position of influence in areas which are sensitive to the Russian interests. And this area is a very sensitive area for the Russian interests. So I think that while it may create occasional uh, confrontations, this is not completely against his interests to be in a position where he is needed to solve these problems uh, and, uh, and at the same time he can make sure that they will not expand beyond control. What's Russia's role here? Because I was reading an interesting op-ed the other day, everyone talks about Russia's turn to the East and its relationship and friendship with China. However, there's also been a turn to the Middle East and actually Russia, in the beginning they were talking about Syria as an adventure uh, by the Russians, a military adventure. However, in the meantime, uh, it seems that the Russia and Putin is much more firmly ensconced and not only does he have his relations with, with Assad in Syria, but also now with Saudi Arabia, the, the king came to visit Moscow, and also he's on good terms. MBS. MBS, yeah. Yes. And he came to, um, and he has his good relationships with Tehran, and so he's actually friends with people who can't stand each other. But that's, that's precisely his position of power. Hmm. He can be the broker rather than others. But is that really his position that he's got now? He is a broker, that he, he plays... Yeah, that's it. what he has created. That's what he has created. Look, you know, I, uh, I think that uh, Putin, uh, to the extent that I know him, and I think I know him quite well... You met him several times, didn't I you? I met him several times. We had very good personal relations. And, uh, you know, one can ask himself, what the hell... Uh, is he doing in Syria? I mean, with regard to uh, our interests. I never had any illusion. And the last one to create such an illusion with me was him. He always said to me, I'm not going to give up any of the Russian positions of influence anywhere. Certainly not in Syria. So I knew that he is there and he's there to stay. Mm. However, he did say to me many times, and I trust him, he will never allow anyone to jeopardize the security of the state of Israel. But he is not unhappy that instead of going to Washington to broker the situation for us, Netanyahu goes to uh, Russia every two months and asks and, and, and begs Putin to help him to resolve an issue of some sort in the Middle East. Uh, he doesn't think that this jeopardizes the security of Israel, but it makes perhaps, from his point of view, Israel uh, perhaps more dependent on Russia than it used to be in the past, and this is in the interest of Russia. So, you, you know, the question is, when you ask about the Russians, from which point of view do you ask the question? Do you, do you ask the question from the point of view of what, Germany, of the point of view of America, the point of view of Israel, or the point of view of Russia? You have to measure the Russians from the point of view, the estimated point of view of the Russian interest. He is the Russian president. He kept saying, saying to me several times when we were debating, he said, hey, my friend, you forget. I'm the president of Russia. What do you want from me? Mm. So, you know, one has to understand it. To move from here 
to the inevitable conclusion that he is an enemy of peace, that he is uh, anxious to have uh, world conflicts and whatnot, is is stupid, is silly, is simplistic, and is not true. He is not. He's been in power now for more than 10 years, for 15 years, back and forth, okay, on 18 years, back and forth in different influential positions. Prime Minister, President, Prime Minister, President, is going to be there for another time, I don't know how long. And he hasn't, hasn't yet shattered the balance of the world. Mm. So you have to give him that credit. Uh, is this always to my taste? No. But I don't, I can't judge him by my desires. He looks at Israel with a lot of respect, by the way. And he told me many times, you know how many friends do I have in Israel? You, you know that my classmates live in the state of Israel and I used to come and visit them and we used to go to Eilat, which is the southern resort uh, city of Israel. And we uh, were, had a wonderful time on the beach of Eilat. And he had his, uh, you know, uh, first-class um, uh, teacher at elementary school living in Tel Aviv, and he bought her an apartment uh, in Tel Aviv. So he said, I'm not your enemy, but I'm the president of Russia. Mm. And okay, so, uh, you know, and for, the, for him, you know, uh, Israel is not part of the Russian bloc, he's part of the American bloc. So in that context, he is maneuvering himself. And, uh, you know, I don't always like what he does, but I, I don't misunderstand the broader picture. And I don't panic. I don't think that we have to panic. Do you think that, I mean, you're saying that he's put himself in a position where he could act as the honest broker, but is he Honest is uh, something that you said, as a broker. As a broker. Honest broker is, some, is a person that has no interest other than just to try and do justice to everyone. Mm. No. He is a broker that wants to do justice only to one side, to his own country. Yeah. This is his role. But is he playing this role already? I mean, are people turning to him? Because, take example, the, the, the Turkish invasion of Syria, a lot of people are very unhappy about that. Uh, and Putin has also very good relationships with Erdogan. Um, and he's in a position to call Erdogan and tell him to stop it. But he's not in a position where Erdogan's going to actually do it, listen to him. Erdogan's going to do what Erdogan does. Look, there was a time when these issues were resolved first between America and Russia. And then they had America and Russia together came to Erdogan and told him, stop it. He would have stopped it. But actually Erdogan feels that he got the green light from the American president. Had the American president not uh, withdrew his... uh, uh, forces from Syria, he may have not been able to do it in the first place. Mm. So he got the opening from America, and I think that therefore he will not be attentive to any Russian attempt. Now, if he will expand his penetration beyond a certain point, then Russia will make sure that he doesn't do it. Count on Putin. Mm. So in the meantime, he looks at it and he examines it and he uh, will decide sooner or later what may be the Russian reaction, depending on the extent of the Turkish penetration into Syria. Mm. Uh, Last question. We've been looking at the situation in Europe with Russia and Ukraine, which I know is not exactly directly in your life, but someone who knows Putin. And we've been talking about a thaw um, that Macron and Merkel are reaching out to Putin. They want this 
de facto war in Ukraine to end. They seem to be willing to compromise. And that Putin's standing has gone from a sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, wildcat where he's been having these military adventures to now where we're talking about him in terms of like, regional broker, he's back on the international stage. I mean, do you think people's view of Putin has changed? That there is a sort of realization that, you know, that Russia's here to stay and it's actually an actor on the international stage and we can't just sanction it, bully it in, back into his box? Look, you know, I'm not sure that I'm the best possible commentator for uh, these events, uh, you should ask uh, others. Uh, what I can say is this, if someone had ever believed that uh, Russia is not here to stay, he was mistaken. Russia is here to stay. The world is not made of countries that are all identical to each other, that all have the same aspirations, the same desires, the same dreams, and the same uh, determination to accomplish their desires in acceptable and uh, ways to all the others. Uh, the world is uh, very diversified. There is America, there is Europe, there is South America, there is Asia, there are Chinese, there are Japanese, there are Koreans, there are Malaysians, and there are Russians. And Russia is an important power that must be reckoned with. Mm. And uh, I think that uh, it, 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 will, it is part of the international community and, a, and a, an important part of the international community. And it has to be dealt with in this context, with respect, with care, and sometimes with determination. And I think that when the Americans, for instance, sanctioned the Russian economy, it wasn't very pleasant for Russia. I mean, that didn't amount to a military confrontation that may have characterized, uh, you know, the time of the Cold War, or it didn't uh, amount to uh, uh, a rhetoric of hostilities and of confrontation that would have destabilized the entire international community as it may have been in the past. But uh, there are ways to... Uh, signal to the Russians what can be the limit of the international game and there are lots of measures that can be used by the international community if necessary uh, and uh, so the Russians understand it, the other forces understand it and I think that if there is one thing which I'm quite comfortable with is that uh, I'm not happy with the regional conflicts. I'm certainly unhappy with the aggressiveness of the Iranians and their ambitions towards uh, the moderate Arab countries, which are not the Shiite countries, and their, uh, their uh, determination to use sometimes uh, military and the terrorist measures to accomplish their desires. But on the broader level of the international community, we can see that there is always uh, uh, a very bombastic rhetoric, but after the use of this rhetoric, there is a very careful policy not to uh, cross a certain line that can lead to hostilities and military confrontations. Mm -hmm. The world is careful. We all understand what it may lead to. Mm -hmm. And I think that this line 
has not been crossed and is not likely to be crossed. So the rest needs a good management, mm. and uh, I hope that it will carry on. On that note, I'd like to thank you very much for taking the time again. It was very thank you. Pleasure.